0: Or you can use the, there's some Bibles on your chairs in the row. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 13 is where we're going to start this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. If you've been tracking with us, we know that this letter has a, a theme that runs through it. And the theme is, how we are to live with Jesus while we wait for His return? How do we wait well for His return? How do we walk with Jesus and with Jesus and in Christ as we wait for His return? And this morning's theme in, the, in verses 13 to 18 is specifically this. It is, how do we grieve with hope while we wait for Jesus to return? How do we grieve with hope? as we wait for Jesus to return, and it's going to get specific, Paul's going to get specific and talk about how do we grieve over those that we know who loved Jesus and have passed away? How do we grieve well knowing that they are not with us any longer? And so with that introduction, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God God for this word for us this morning. There is so much to grieve about in this world today. So much sin, disappointment, injustice, pain, sickness, suffering, death, war, abuse. And here God wants to give us hope In fact, there's some things here that he wants to inform us. There's information he wants to give us. Look at verse 13. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. There's information that he wants to give us to help us with our grieving, to help us process the loss of family members and friends who have died in Christ. Now, I think it's interesting if you track with the last message, the the previous verses from here, because in the previous verses, Paul almost tells us there's certain things in this world you don't need to be informed about. Do you remember that? Remember the, the phrases that we read? To live quietly or to aspire to live quietly and to mind our own affairs. Now there's just things where it's like, look, you can't know everything and you can't know everything there is to know about everybody and everything. So back off and live quietly. You don't need to be so busy. You don't need to have all the noise that can come in, and especially in our day and age, through all the, all the sources of media that we can take into our lives. So much information that God wants us to aspire to deny. But there's information here that God wants us to embrace. In other words, here's important information, and it has to do with the return of christ now i gotta begin this week and next week with a little bit of a warning because god is going to tell us in these verses some things regarding end times and some things regarding his return but these verses are not going to gratify all of your curiosity and they're not going to answer all of your questions And in case you didn't know this, God is not obligated to answer all of our questions or to scratch all of our itches. (laughs) I think sometimes, I think I can have the right to simply Google God to get all the answers. I can get the answer for everything else, so why can't I get the answer to all my questions about end times? (laughs) But that's not how God works. But because God is good... He tells us exactly what we need to know, and he leaves out what he knows we can't handle. And strangely, there's things it seems that the angels don't know and that Jesus didn't even know when he was on earth about the end times. Matthew 24 makes that clear. He's talking about the end times, and Jesus says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son of Man. So even Jesus, while he's on earth, confesses. Right now, I don't even know what's going to happen, and neither do the angels. So if they don't know all the details, why do we think that God owes us all the details? Or that we could even handle them if he gave them to us. So the point, really, of those verses is stay awake, be ready, and be alert. And so that's what we need to do. Now, I think maybe you've been exposed to a different approach to end times, where somehow in here, all the information is there. We just have to learn how to decode it. I've sat in those classes where there's charts and graphs and all kinds of things on the wall that spell out everything that happens in Daniel and Revelation and completely ignores the fact that it's apocalyptic literature and is not meant to be interpreted literally. So those scorpions in Revelation, they're not helicopters shooting down guns on people. But especially when things happen in the Middle East, there are certain people that would love to say, all the answers are in here. It's self-explanatory. You've got to find it. I don't think that's the case. I think God plainly tells us what God wants to tell us so that we can live with Him while we wait for His return. And so I want to appeal to you this morning that there's no hidden codes, uh, that God leaves a lot of unanswered questions, but that God tells us exactly what He wants us to know. And so don't let—this is my fear of this morning— is that you would not let your unanswered questions suck the hope and the joy and the encouragement out of these verses. Because that's a possibility. Instead, I pray that our souls would be captivated with the hope that is right here staring us in the face. And there's a lot of hope here. I mean, this, is, this is happy preaching this morning. This is this is encourage our souls this morning. This is not like that passage I had to preach about sexual immorality, okay? We're on the opposite end now. This is the good stuff. Here we go. So let's enjoy what God has to say to us here this morning with four realities. I think there's four major things about Jesus in here that are, that's meant to give you hope and to make your heart yearn and long for the return of Christ. So the first is this. Reality number one is this, that Jesus died and rose again. The foundational truth that undergirds this entire passage, everything about end times, everything about Jesus' return is grounded in this. Jesus died and rose again. Look at verse 13. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there's some people who are grieving who have no hope. For, here's why, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. The Spirit has Paul begin with this because all hope springs from the gospel. All hope. Without Jesus' death and resurrection, there really is no hope. Just pack it up and go home. If Jesus did not die and rise from the dead. And without this truth, people grieve with no hope. I don't know if you've been to funerals for people who don't know Jesus. For some strange reason, I have done more funerals for people who don't know Jesus than I have for people who do know Jesus. And it's agonizing to watch people groping for something to hold on to, for some kind of hope. They say things like, "Well, we'll see them again someday. Or I guess the angels carried them off to a better place. Or I know they're looking down on us now smiling, just just groping for empty nothingness. Listen, we don't grieve that way. We don't. Because Jesus died and he rose again. His death was a substitutionary death in your place. He took the death penalty for you. He became sin for us. He was put forward as a propitiation by his blood. In him, we have the redemption of sins through his blood. His blood brings the forgiveness of sins and redemption. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. He canceled the record of debt that stood against you by nailing it to the cross. He suffered once for sins to bring you to God. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In the death of Jesus is all the forgiveness that you could ever have that takes your sin and plunges it into the depths of the ocean, never to be seen again. And when he finished his cross work, he died. And in God's word, it never says that Jesus fell asleep, it's always that he died. And he died for three days. And we believe that at the end of those three days, Jesus rose again. And in his resurrection, he canceled sin, he crushed Satan, and he conquered death. So we believe that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. And so when it comes to grieving, we don't grieve as people who don't have any hope. Because we know that Jesus has done everything to give us hope, not just in this life, but in the life to come. So Jesus is our hope in this life. Now, Jesus is our only hope in this life. And Jesus is our hope in the life to come. And Jesus is our only hope in the life to come. And that is what undergirds everything else that we believe this morning. Everything else. This sermon could be 20 sermons on connecting Jesus' death and resurrection to Jesus coming back and how he's going to take us to heaven. It's massive. And all I'm going to do is try to stick very narrowly to what it says here. But listen, his death and his resurrection does it all. Does it all. And so it secures reality number two, which is this. Jesus will return with believers who have fallen asleep. Jesus will return one day. And when he returns, he will return with believers who have fallen asleep. So follow along with me, starting in verse verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, catch the language, through Jesus, through Jesus' dying and through Jesus' raising, or by Jesus' dying and Jesus' raising, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so people who, are, who have fallen asleep, he's going to bring them with him when he returns. So he's gonna, now he's going to tease out this coming of the Lord and what that looks like, verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So I'm guessing that maybe one of the disciples before Jesus ascended up to heaven, spoke to Jesus, and Jesus said these words to that disciple who passed it on to Paul. Or maybe Jesus spoke to Paul and told him these words, but these words came from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus is going to come. When he comes, he's going to bring the people who have fallen asleep. They're going to come first. And then he says, then we will come second. And that's what he's going to tease out now in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So let's make this very simple. Twice he's telling us that Jesus will come. He uses the word he's going to descend, bringing with him everyone who has fallen asleep. Now what makes this confusing, perhaps, is we don't talk about people dying as falling asleep. But that's how God talks about believers who die. He says they are asleep. So asleep here could be translated, if you wanted, dead. And so three times in this passage, he addresses them that way. Verse 13, those who are asleep. Verse 14, 14, those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, those who have fallen asleep. This is the pattern in God's word. Believers don't die. They go to sleep. So you, you stand over a casket, and it looks like they are sleeping, right? Look, their, their body's still there. It looks like they're asleep. Their body is there, but they're not there. Their, their body is empty, but they're actually somewhere else. But where? Where else are they? Is their soul just sleeping somewhere? Their body is sleeping here and their soul is sleeping somewhere else. Maybe their soul is sleeping inside their body. So when we have questions, although God is not always obligated to answer them, we still search for them. Where do we look to find the answer to the question? Where are they? In his word. word. And so I'm going to spare you a little time, and I'm going to fast forward through chapter 5 a little bit. I'd rather read all of chapter 5. And we're going to jump right into verse 9 of chapter 5. And I'll be honest, I was halfway through my week scratching my head going, where are they? I'm not just going to pretend that I know based on what other people have told me. Where are they? Are they just sleeping? Are we Seventh-day Adventists? Yeah. Are they just sleeping somewhere? Maybe they are. I don't know. Let's start from scratch here and figure it out. So here's what the answer I found. Verse 9, chapter 5. For God has not destined us for wrath. Praise the Lord. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. So Jesus dies for us so we can have salvation and get away from the wrath of God. Why? Here's why Jesus does this. Why Jesus dies. Not just for salvation present, not just to get away from the wrath of God, but he does it so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So this morning you're described as awake. So what do you do? You live with him while you wait for him. Others are asleep. What are they doing? They're with him, waiting for him to return. Eagerly, I'm sure. Ready to make the trip down. So they're there. They're with the Lord. They're with him. So we live with him as awake people now, obtaining salvation now, and asleep people live with him, obtaining salvation now. They've got salvation now. We have salvation now. See, the reason that both the awake and the sleeping are with him, listen to this, you've got to know about the doctrine of the union of Christ, our union with him. You've been united with him, and once you've been united to him, your union cannot be broken. Listen, death can't break your union with Christ. Death can't break anybody's union with Christ. You've been united with Christ, you are united with Christ forever. And so death can't break that. And so if you look at chapter 5, verse 9, it says that our union is found in the phrase in our Lord Jesus Christ or through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to our passage, verse 16 of chapter 4. It says very clearly, those who are dead in Christ. They're in Christ. That's the difference maker. That's the difference. If you're not in Christ, you're still under the wrath of God and you don't get the salvation. But if you're in Christ, good news, you don't get the wrath of God, and you get salvation instead. And so whether you're living or dead, you are with the Lord. Now, I think there's some reasons that God words things this way. I don't know if you've ever caught this in in your Bible as you've read, but in God's word, it never says that we die, that humans die. There's no record of some human dying where it says they died, at least not God saying they died. And with Jesus, it always says he died and it never says that Jesus fell asleep. So as believers, we fall asleep because Jesus died. And we don't die because Jesus died in our place and if you're united to Christ, you already died. When he died to sin, You died to sin because you were united to him in his death. And so you can't die twice. So the second one is your body just takes a nap while you go head up to be with Jesus. So that's what he's telling us here. And I think he uses this language, awake, or I'm sorry, this language of sleeping and and this language of dying, I think for a couple of reasons. The other is, I, I think... I was thinking through this. I feel like God just uses the word sleep there just to smack death in the face, just to embarrass death. Like, I'm not even going to acknowledge you anymore. You've been defeated. My, my children, they don't die. They just, their bodies just go to sleep. That's where they go. They, they don't die. And I feel like it's just a smackdown on death that God won't say that about believers. Listen, in case you're not convinced, let me just quickly flash over two verses that reinforce this reality. Philippians 1, 22 and 23 says this, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and fall asleep. No, he knows if he departs, where's he going? Ah, to be with the Lord. I'm either with Jesus here, I'm going to be with Jesus there. I can't be separated from him. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6, it says this, So we are always of good courage, for you know that while we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So you're leaving this body. Where are you going? Home. You're going home. Home to be with the Lord. So when Jesus returns, he is going to bring with him everyone who is with him right now who have fallen asleep on earth. They're going to be with him. And then there's more good news good news for us who are still here, who are still awake and not asleep yet reality number three and that is that Jesus will snatch up believers who are still awake. Jesus is going to snatch up believers who are still awake. Look at verse 7. The second part of verse 7 says this. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. That word there is snatched. It's a word for like, it's almost like a, a, a powerful word. Like you're going to get just sucked up. It's almost an aggressive sort of Greek word. You're going to get sucked up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's what's going to happen to believers. I was thinking about this, and the, the verse in Acts came to mind where Jesus leaves. You got to remember where Jesus leaves? It says in Acts 1.9, after Jesus has died and resurrected, he's talking to his disciples. It says, and then when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, I know that as people that live in the world of 2023, this is hard to fathom. There's no jet pack, no hot air balloon. He he literally ascends up and a cloud takes him out of their sight. Verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, that's terrifying, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why do you think? The dude just ascended in a cloud. That's why we're standing here. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, listen to this, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So he's going to descend the same way that he ascended. And then you and I, according to verse 17, will go up into the clouds. We will ascend into the air. We will be snatched up in some sort of aggressive way to meet the Lord in the air. And there, you will, for the first time, see your Savior face to face. And you're going to do it airborne. You are going to ascend and you're going to encounter Him face to face in the air. The clouds. That is the promise. And believers who have fallen asleep, they won't be left out. They're going to lead the way. So, Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Ruth and Esther and Rahab and Mary and the disciples and the thief on the cross, your friend or family member, everyone who has fallen asleep in Jesus, they're going to beat us there. They're going to beat us there. But you and I will be part of the greatest welcoming team that has ever existed. And that welcoming team will look like this in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with three things. A cry of command, the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. So we will be gathered with all the saints, everyone who has put their faith in Christ, and there will be a loud command, there will be a voice of an angel, and there will be a trumpet. Now this would have been understood by the people who originally read this, is that's what you did when a king came into the city. The king came back home, what'd you do? You you had a party waiting for him as he entered the city. And this is what happened to Jesus, right? When he came on Palm Sunday. You guys know the story. Everyone's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They're throwing palm branches and their coats on the ground. Only this time when Jesus comes, there won't be any place to put the coats or the palm branches. And we won't be shouting, Jesus, save us. We'll be shouting, Jesus has saved us. (laughs) I am saved. Look, there's no wrath. And I'm face to face with Jesus in a cloud. Surrounded by the people that love him. So this time, when Jesus comes, there will be a command, not a question, not, hey, does anybody want to join me? Oh, no, he's going to command what happens in that moment. And there's going to be the voice of an archangel. No idea what he's going to be saying, but I imagine it's going to be pretty good news. And there's going to be a trumpet blasting his coming. And then those who fall asleep, will lead the way, and those who are awake will powerfully be snatched up to join them together. And then, the best news ever, reality number four, Jesus will be with all believers forever. The second part of verse 17 says this, And so we will always be with the Lord. That is worth reading again. And so, we will always be with the Lord. This is the end game. This is what it's all about. Being with Jesus forever. Knowing him. Walking with him. Beholding him. Yes, there will be a new earth where forever we will dance and make music. We will eat food, we will cook, have wine, plant things, harvest things. There will be art, animals, creating, games, painting, crafts, hobbies, fun, joy all the day long. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. But the greatest thing about it all, we will always be with Jesus. Does that excite you? Does that thrill your soul? Listen, this will only excite you and thrill your soul if you see Jesus as your beautiful and satisfying Savior now. The more beautiful you see him now, the more excited you're going to be about living with him forever. Because your joyful anticipation about forever with Jesus is directly linked to the joy you find in him now. But you may be thinking or tempted to think, how can one man, Jesus, provide happiness and satisfaction forever? Won't he get just a little boring after a while? Or maybe predictable? Listen, you Watch the same athlete do the same things Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and somehow you don't get bored. You listen to the same post game analysis people break down the game you just watched week in and week out, and you keep listening year in and year out. We listen to the same pop artists sing the same song as it was originally recorded in 1987 over and over and over again, not guilty of that you watch your favorite actor over and over again in every movie they appear in, or maybe watch the same movie over and over again, maybe annually or more often than that, we joyfully go to the same app every day looking for something in that same app that's going to fill our souls with happiness. Listen, if these people can suck us in and captivate our attention for hundreds and thousands of hours, then don't you think Jesus, the transcendent Jesus, the eternal Jesus, the infinite Jesus, the perfect Jesus, the immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent omnipotent Jesus, the all-wise Jesus, the holy and just Jesus, the supremely good, faithful, patient, kind, gracious, loving, creator of the earth and the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the endless galaxies that are millions of light years away, the one who is life and gives life, the one who died and rose to reconcile you to God, don't you think that he can keep you satisfied for just a little bit? Let's not think small thoughts about Jesus. Instead, let's close our laptops, let's put down our phones, let's put some breathing room in our calendars and entertain grand thoughts about Jesus. Let's take a copy of God's Word and go out into the fall leaves and read and drink in Christ. Let's do it asking the Spirit to awaken our souls to Jesus and to make our hearts burn with passion for him and ask him to open our eyes to behold Jesus until our affections are on fire and until we believe that the best thing about eternity will be Jesus. And so... The application here is given. Review and apply this week will be easy. The apply is here. Encourage one another with these words. Verse 18, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another that Jesus died and rose again. Encourage one another that Jesus will be with those who have fallen asleep. Encourage one another that Jesus will snatch up those who are still here. Be encouraging one another that Jesus will be with all believers forever. Use your mouth. Use your lips to encourage one another that there is more to this life than all the stuff that we get wrapped up in. It's about Jesus. So let's encourage each other that way. A hope that impacts Are grieving, a hope that only comes in Christ. May we find that we are able to encourage one another with a hope that makes our grieving look radically different than those who grieve without no hope. Do you have hope this morning? Do you have hope? Hope in this life? Hope for your friends who don't know who do know Christ and have passed away. Hope for you and for eternity, I pray you do. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Father, forgive us for sometimes having thoughts that what we're experiencing today on this earth is going to be less than heaven with you. And help us, help us to wrap our tiny brains around the reality that because you died and rose again, we can never be separated from you. And that the best thing on this earth is you. And so, of course, the best thing for eternity is going to be you. And so, fill us with that hope this morning. Fill us, I pray. Open our hearts and our minds that we would not think small thoughts about Jesus. Help us to think large, glorious grand thoughts about Jesus and who he is and what he's done, what he's still doing and what he will do one day. Come and help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.